Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of The Thunder Heist. I'm Dirk Ashton, author of the Paternus Trilogy. You, Rob. You, no, I'm last. <laughs> oh, we're kicking this one off well. Uh, I'm I'm Rob Hayes, uh, author of books. I am Michael <laughs> R. Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption and stuff. <laughs> and today's episode is going to be all about listener questions. So over the course of this podcast, we've gathered uh, quite a few interesting questions from our listeners, watchers. Um, so thank you for everyone who sent questions in. If we don't get around to answering your question today, we may do it in a future episode. And also if you do We're have not. questions. We don't. It probably means it was a shitty question. <laughs> We're just blowing you. Good cop, bad cop. You get the routine. Um, <laughs> and yeah, if you have any other questions as well, please feel free to reach out to us. And we will probably do this again at some stage in the future. But uh, kicking things off, this question comes from Robert, who says that, first of all, uh, I would just like to say that I enjoy the new podcast very much. I was wondering if you could touch on the subject of trunk novels. If you come back to them, why don't you? That sort of thing. And on a personal note, he adds that I'm the guy who put Fletcher's face on the other two panelists a few weeks ago. I hope you weren't offended or put off by <laughs> that. That Robert. Ah, <laughs> consider the we sort. We all saw that one, yeah. So, <laughs> trunk novels. A room full of Fletchers. <laughs> yes. I, I'm just going to admit right off the bat, I have no freaking idea what a trunk novel is. Oh, sure. So to define it really quickly, <laughs> it's just like a... Um, an early book that you wrote that you never got around to publishing uh and then you've just kind of like kept it locked in your trunk because otherwise it'll come to life that's, and that's fletcher's that's that's three quarters of fletcher's oeuvre right there 
Oh uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't actually have trunk novels because I just publish everything I write. I mean, literally every, everything I finish. Anyway, I have sure. unfinished books, uh, and they're really bad. Uh, but everything I actually finish gets published because I mean, if I'm going to spend all that time writing, I'm putting it out there. It's probably unwise, but it's my thing, you know. Fair enough. Rob, do you have any trunk novels? I mean, yeah, I, I've I've got a, a few. I mean, I've I've got I've actually got one that's set in uh, in my first Earth Saga universe. It was the Ooh. first full-length book I ever wrote, uh, and to be honest, I had no idea what my voice was at the time or anything like that, um, and it was awful. Uh, it has okay, English it accent. Wasn't good. It just didn't have any character to it, so um, I'm pretty much uh, I just binned it and uh, started Heresy Within. Which turned out to be pretty good, so I published that instead. Um, Nick? but I have, uh, I mean, Paternus was my first novel, other than an attempt I made at uh, a superhero kind of thing when I was in high school, um, and that just never got finished. I don't even know where that is, it was all handwritten. So, I mean, I just I had the same issue finding the voice and figuring out what the hell I was doing. It was like a crash course in creative writing. But uh, though I'd written a lot, of, a lot of screenplays and a lot of short stuff and been writing for a long time, but uh, it, I, I, I don't have any. I don't have any sitting around. I have a lot of like short story kind of stuff that's basically backstory from the Paternus world. So uh, there's some of that that I do pull out and and revise and put out as as short stories or put in anthologies but at this point um most most of those i'm uh writing from scratch based on notes so i really i really actually don't just don't have any right now fair enough um it's kind of ironic that you mentioned that book you wrote about superheroes when you were in high school because the first thing that i wrote was a superhero story when i was in high school so clearly uh -huh. we're the same person. Um, <laughs> and yeah, basically that's my, my only trunk novel was this thing called the Aeon Academy, which I started when I was 15, continually rewrote it for a couple of years, like from scratch several times. Um, and then eventually I just realized that like it was never going anywhere and there were kind of inherent flaws with it. Um, but moving on from that first novel to the second thing I wrote, which was Across the Broken Stars, which did get published that for me was like the biggest moment where I realized that all of those hours and years I'd put into working on that first trunk novel paid off a lot because it just felt so much better to like start over afresh and tackle this new thing. Um, the only way to really get decent at writing is to keep writing. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. If you have to throw some of it away, that's just the way it is. It is. The, the thing is though, it's like, you know, Dirk says he, he wrote a superhero novel when he was in school and that was, I don't know, a millennia ago, uh, and then and then Jed says it, and that was like I don't know, five minutes ago. Last week, <laughs> there's a bit of a time difference, sure. <laughs> um, Dirk, you actually touched upon something which leads in nicely to another question uh, from Slowly Red, who asks, "Did you guys start out writing short stories, or did you go straight into writing novels?" And perhaps we can use this as a bit of a springboard to just talk about our thoughts on short stories in general. Mm -hmm. Who wants to kick off? I have a, a heart, short stories are harder for me to write. Um, I mean, harder in that it's harder for me to get my head wrapped around what to do and how to do it in a short, in a short 
framework. Um, uh, novels are harder because they just take so damn much longer and there's so much more thought that has to go into making it all make sense. But uh, the, the, uh, the shorts I find, I find difficult. And to be honest, I mean, I've written a lot of like, I can't say I've written a lot of short stories, but I've written a lot of like scenes, you know, just ideas that would come and over the years I would just write out these scenes. And sometimes they were in screenplay format, sometimes, or sequences, and sometimes they were in short story format. And then there were long periods when I didn't write at all. Um, that kind of stuff, like when I was going, when I went back to school to get my PhD, I had to, you know, it was, it was all academic writing. Um, but I think that helped a lot because my professors were serious sticklers for um, everything. Um, so that was, was pretty good training. And that came after my many years of writing screenplays. And I was just writing all the time when I was writing those. Um, so those, those really helped a lot. But as far as shorts, I never really have done a lot. And I've never tried to, I know a lot of people write a lot of short stories. They submit to magazines and journals and, and you know, that's like a thing. Um, I just, I just never, I just never went that route. I think it's a very different skill writing short stories in many ways to writing full length novels. And I think there's, there are plenty of people who specialize in it, basically. That's, that's what they do. They write short stories or novellas, whatever the length thing is. I don't really understand that myself. Novellas um, and novelettes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big fan of writing short stories myself. I just, I, I, I never seem to cut them down to a, a sort of like suitable length to count as whatever a short story should while still getting across the story and everything that I want to. Um, maybe that's failing on my own part as, as a writer, but I, I just much prefer writing novels. Um, but I definitely started by writing short stories and sort of serials and stuff a long time ago. Yeah, so at Ghosts of Tomorrow was literally the first thing I ever sort of really wrote and finished. Uh, no one wanted to publish it at first. Uh, so I, I saw this catch 22 of publishing. You have to be published to get published kind of thing. And so I threw myself at short story writing, figuring I'd uh, build, I'd, I'd sell a whole pile of short stories to like professional markets and build up like this publishing cred. And then people would look at the genius novel that I'd written, right. uh, which of course totally didn't work. Like I, I wrote, I submitted many stories, got many, many hundreds of rejections. Uh, and then a publisher uh, picked up, uh, 88 was the first version of Ghosts of Tomorrow, picked that up and didn't even care that I'd written all these short stories and had a couple of published, couple published. And then Harper Voyager picked up Beyond Redemption and they didn't even ask. They had zero interest in my short story background. Uh, so at that point I was like, fuck this. I just stopped writing short stories altogether unless somebody came to me and sort of offered money and was like, will you write for us a short story? Which was hilarious because you go from like sending all these stories out and no one wants them to people coming to you going, will you write a short story? And you're like, oh. like we'll give you money. I'm like, eh, eh. <laughs> I guess. Well, I suppose and, if you'll slap me with your wallet, I'll do it for yeah. you. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, so put out, I don't know where it is. 
a collection of obsessions, which is like a collection of published and unpublished short short stories. Um, which with, ter with terrific co cover art, by the way. Oh, that's right. Yeah, my my daughter who was what seven at the time, seven or eight, did the cover, so that was fun. But anyway, so no, I I fucking hate short stories. You don't think you don't think, Mike, that having having those uh, short story published creds in your query letter helped get them to request? They, they didn't care. Nobody cared. Because I, mean, I know the, that the, I mean, the a publisher lot of literally that, said, like a lot of people do care. use that very strategy. Mm -hmm. um, it might be though well. that just not as valid today as it used to be. Yeah. Now this is there this was two thousand nine that I started. There so are a lot of people that, that have done that and have gotten um, and then gone on to get publishing deals. I mean, Rothfuss, I think, was one of those. Uh, I think quite often it can depend on where the short stories went to. You know, if, if you've got a, a short story that's winning some sort of prestigious award. Like Riders um, of the Future, for instance, which yeah, is what Rothfuss and then, did. And then you're sort of pitching a novel going, hey, look, I've got a short story that won this. I think, yeah, then publishers might take note. But if you're just like, yeah, I, I sold a, a short story to uh, this this online magazine or whatever, I, I, I doubt, you know, then sort of agents or publishers are really going to care. Yeah, I think, like, for me as well, that's what I sort of tried um, a couple of years ago was just, like, writing lots of short stories, submitting them to various markets. And I did get a couple of them published, and it was, like, my first, you know, paid publishing thing, so it felt very cool. But, um yeah, having looking back on it now, as useful as it was, I think I probably would have been better off spending that time actually just writing more novels, which is what I wanted to do long term, and then start the self-publishing process with that earlier because like I learned so much more from it. You actually like are getting some money from it as well, as opposed to like short stories, which even if they do get published, it's probably, you know, not the kind of thing that is going to continually be a source of income for you and everything. Now, having said this, I have found short stories useful for linking to my books that are published as a way to incentivize people to sign up for email newsletters and just like reward readers for checking out my books by giving them a free story as well. Um, do any of you do that as well? Nah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty... Um, pretty standard tactic, yes. Uh, tactic. Uh, mm. They call it, I think they call, people call it lead stories or something. Or reader um, magnet, yeah. You, you write a short story that's that's sort of I don't know either a prequel or based in the same universe as something you've read a longer trilogy, and uh, with the hopes that people who will then read that, uh, and then they'll be like, "Oh, that's interesting. I'll go and check out the rest of this stuff." Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people do that and just offer it for free um, from certain download sites. Yeah, I offer one on my mailing list. Anybody who signs up to my mailing list gets a. I do the same thing. They call them, they call them lead, lead magnets. That's it. A lead magnet. Yeah. I do the same thing. If you sign up for my newsletter, I have a pop-up that comes up. I know I freaking hate pop-ups. So mine, I make sure it comes up as soon as you sign, as soon as you go to the website, it doesn't come like five seconds later while you're searching. It comes up right now. Um, I should probably change that. Mine comes up with three seconds after. And I was just going to say, Rob, your uh, self-published fantasy releases one. <laughs> I hate pop-ups, but I particularly hate them when they come up like a few seconds after you're like looking through and all of a sudden it comes up. It's like, go away. Like a YouTube video advert that, that comes up like 20 seconds after the video starts and you're like, ah! I'm crashed now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I give I away. I set all my short stories up, so if people uh, log on to the site and then it's called Amazon, send me money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Otherwise, I can fuck off. Do you have a website, Mike? I technically do, yes. I haven't looked at it in a very long time because I, I just don't care. It's not fun. It doesn't bring me happiness. So, so fuck it. I mean, it's I've been, bring I've been me joy. and a yeah. and I don't remember ever seeing that yours come up in the search. Yeah, it probably doesn't. It's, it's there someday. Maybe I'll do something with it. I mean, it it's comes up fairly with, recently. Wikipedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, Wall Street Journal. Um, but I've never seen your website. Big sad. Um, Whatever. All right. Actually, I have actually had a picture of me, an illustration of me on the front page of Wall Street Journal. Oh. Wait, what? <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah. I'm going to have to explain that one. We need context. <laughs> on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Okay. Well, it's me lying on the ground being a zombie in Night of the Living Dead 1990. They I've seen a, that picture. They did a they did a piece of uh, they did a piece on the shooting of that back in ninety. Huh. Yeah. That's Why were they looking at how it was going to affect Wall Street stocks? <laughs> they, just, they do those they do those little public interest pieces. Hmm. I guess it was in the, it, the the actual article was in the arts section, but the 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 lead in was was right on the front page. Hmm. That's pretty random. <laughs> you have to send that photo through for us, and we can. Uh... Share it with our listeners. Slash yeah, I need to dig that out. I've got a whole bin of, of shit like that. I need to dig it out and get a take a picture of that front yeah, page. Send, send your jungle uh, jungle book picture as well. That's always a good one. <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Aren't you holding a snake or something? Yeah. Yeah. Snake. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, probably nothing. Um, anyway, moving on <laughs> from that diversion. Um, uh, Cade Kessler asks, what's your process for hiring editors, artists, etc., for self-published novels? Who wants uh, to start off on this? Random and difficult and anxiety-written. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I bug all of the artists. Well, not the, all of the artists. I have one artist I'm working with now. I bug all the editors I know every single time and ask them their rates and then pester them with questions and then kind of sort through the answers and the rates depending on what I think the book's going to make and stuff. Um, and then I do the same the next year for whatever the next book is because I've completely forgotten all of the answers that they gave me last year. And I'm, I swear, they all literally just cut and paste now. They're like, fuck, it's Mike again. <laughs> this guy. And they send me the, exactly the same answers and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. And you know, so eventually you can tell when they're getting tired of it, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been lucky randomly going through... Uh, I mean, I, I, a guy, this, uh, Dale Triplett has, has worked on all three of my books um, as an editor proofer, uh, kind of a copy editor proofer. Uh, I don't use story or structural editors. I know a lot of people that do, um, but uh, I never have. And he was getting into it. I really liked his writing style. Um, he helped me a lot all the way through. And now he's doing That's. I mean, he does that. Um, and, and Laura Hughes um, started doing it uh, by second book. So she worked on second and third book as well. So I've had two editors plus a, a bunch of different proofers um, on those books. And one thing that I'll admit right now for the first time in public is that I was writing so fast uh, and was under such a crunch with book three and, and I was still writing while they were proofing and copy editing. And I do not advise this. 
finish it, send it, leave it alone, work on something else, get all the notes back in one big document, make the changes. Um, uh, so what I ended up doing is I, uh, I, I had all these versions in, and the final versions were down here. And I, when I formatted the book to, uh, to publish it, I formatted not the final version. So the first release version of War of Gods, book three in the trilogy, is not the final proof. So I just want to say that that is not the fault of my editors. That is this idiot right here. <laughs> so I have been fixing those, and they're all taken care of. As far as I can tell, as of two days ago, I uploaded the last latest corrected copy and by that time it was too late to find the final one and then go change because i had been going and changing in the formatted file so i had to just continue fixing and fixing so that was a bit of a nightmare thank god nobody has really it hasn't really hit me on the reviews um until now <laughs> um but uh, anybody who got those early ones is going to find some weird shit in there and also, they have a special collector's edition, which will be worth more money in 10 years' time. Yes. It's a win. Yes. Now I'm wondering, because I'm pretty sure my copy was a pre-order, like, or, or like the day it came out, I bought it. So now I'm wondering, is it one of these crazy copies? Mm. No, if it oh, is. And I can tell you, if you, if you tell me the, the, the edition number, I can tell you which one it is. Um, but yeah, you got to be really, really careful of that stuff. So um, I... Uh, if it just says edition one, then that's got a lot of goopy crap in it. First edition. Hey. Yeah. I mean, I fixed too. them. Hold on to that. And you still liked it. Actors edition. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to yeah. circle back quickly to something Mike was saying. You, you say that you pester editors with a bunch of questions. Do you mind sharing what some of those questions are? Because that might be useful for people who are trying to figure out what they should be asking editors and what they should be looking for right. when they're approaching them. Okay, so depending on the book, I'm looking for different things. Like if I feel really confident in the book, like I feel like I've done a really good job, like with structure and everything. Uh, in those cases, I'll be like, I don't want a structural edit. Um, all I want the editor to do is go through, find all my typos, fix my non-existent punctuation, delete 98% of my semicolons. Um, but sometimes with some books, I'm like, this was a clusterfuck writing it, and it's a huge bowl of book porridge, and I want someone to go through and kind of like uh, help cull the shit. Um, and so in those cases, um, you know, you have to, you need to be upfront with your editor what, what it is you expect back. Um, you know, I tend not to bounce stuff back and forth with editors. Uh, I send it to them, they do their uh, if you're sort of new to this, then you need to be upfront about that. Sorry, I just um, lost you for the last 10 seconds or so. Could you just uh, repeat what you were just saying? I heard him. I got it. Yeah, I think just because it records on my computer, we might need to repeat oh, that little bit if that's oh okay. Oh my God. Yeah, See, sorry. Uh, I have no idea. I was just babbling. <laughs> so be up, be up front with, what, uh, with your editor, with, uh, with what you want. If you 
you know, if you need a structural edit, if you want help with on that level, they need to know that in advance. If it's just a copy edit where they're just tweaking sentence structure, punctuation and stuff, they, that's going to be cheaper. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it with that. And, uh, and know what kind of editor they are, because uh, some people are proofers, some people are copy editors and proofers, some people are, uh, um, I mean, there, there are multi-levels. Um, Can we quickly define people, those? There are people that are extremely good, and they know what they're good at, but they don't do structural editing, editing right? Um, they don't. Uh, they don't talk about the structure and flow as much. They just, they concentrate on, you know, there's the forest down to, you know, the very minute leaves on the trees and uh, they, they do different things. And one thing I wanted to bring up that, that editors uh, really like to have is a style sheet. Do you guys ever send, send style sheets? No, uh, I figured Mike wouldn't, but Rob, do you use a style um, sheet? I, I, I've not sent one across myself, but um, I've had like, editors basically building one from uh, oh, I, had, I had someone ask for that and i was like the fuck is that i, I, I didn't send them one because i didn't you know what no they style. were talking about and i just ignored it and they kind of let it go a style sheet is basically um i want like it it, it, it it's as simple stuff as um for here here are my here are my tables of how i talk about lengths or seasons or times of year or uh, very simple stuff like um, uh, are the are numbers one through ten going to be written out and then after ten be be put in numerals right these things need to be consistent it's simple stuff like that surely um, somewhere out there some, somebody put together a style sheet that you can just follow this must have been done before yeah you can find style sheets online all kinds of, one of those. Just do it properly. Uh, yeah, they can be very specific um, to to your book. So um, that, that, those are those I found. Uh, uh, I've had uh, copy editors ask for those specifically, and certain they'll they'll tell you certain things that they want to know. Um, do you use even you know? Do you want to use n dashes in this particular instance and m dashes in this instant? Um, you know, ellipses, that kind of, ellipses for everything. <laughs> how do you feel? How do you feel about the Oxford comma? Love it. Um, what? Sexy. I mean, only the semicolon is sexier. Semicolon. Little smirking death signs. Comma splice all the way. No. Really. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, Jed was asking earlier, can we define them? Uh, yeah, the types? three main types of editing. If we, Rob, do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can try. Uh, <laughs> we've got, I mean, proof editing is basically going through and checking for um, sort of typos and um, making sure. Inconsistencies, errors. Hmm? Yeah. Inconsistencies, errors. So like making sure names are spelt the same throughout the entire thing. Um, copy edits tend to be going through and looking more at things like sentence structure, you know, how well does, the, the, the sentence flow and you know making uh, recommendations if they think that it could go better in a slightly different way you know if it could sound better or or just saying what is this crap this paragraph means nothing get the fuck rid of it mm -hmm. uh, I get a lot of red marks in my edits um, 
And then structural edits are ones where they look deeper into the actual story itself and make suggestions on how the story can be changed um, to make it better. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never had one of those. Uh, so that's about as much as I know of that one. All right. I reckon we've got I, time for probably... Oh, yep, Dirk, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, I, I was just saying that I know people that run story, uh, story editors, even before structural editors, where they talk about how they're going to plot out and lay out and outline the story with someone before they even write. How, how do you do that when you haven't yeah, written the story yet? <laughs> well, they, they, they help them develop it. <laughs> Sorry, uh, logical approaches disgust uh, me. We didn't even talk. We didn't even talk. Address the question about artists. Do we want to? I don't know. I just say that Felix. For, yeah, I was just yeah. going to say. Just hire Felix Ortiz, who did our uh, podcast art. Um, or if you can't afford Felix, like myself, hire someone who is equally talented, like Raymond. Um, and yeah, I think we've probably got time for one more question before we wrap this one up. But we definitely will do another listening question episode sometime in the future. I think. Um, I feel like we could have made an entire episode out of just editors and covers, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that could probably be a good thing to look into is like outsourcing in general, like just how, yeah. yeah, like what tasks do we give to other people to do because we know that we're not as good at them as uh, proper trained professionals are. Um, Kate Kessler also asked, what are some specifics and strategies you have for preventing world builders disease? So this is, as I understand it, uh, world builders diseases when you just spend all of your time figuring out like what language your trees speak and all of these minutiae things about your world that you never actually need for your story and population, as a result it's procrastination population growth doing chart um, yeah stuff like that atmospheric uh, <laughs> makeup on an atomic level yeah yeah figuring out the periodic table as for a the world. Cancer, I can say I have never had any experience with that at all. I, my world building is on the fly as I'm writing the book. I, so it all just comes out of my head as I'm going. Uh, I mean, yeah, so I, I've, I've never sat there and spent a massive amount of time building a world to the point where I'm like, oh God, I've never actually written anything. For, for me, that is part of writing, discovering and building the world as I go. Yeah, I've kind of the same for me, although I have actually done the world building a couple of times for books. Uh, like, yeah, I'll write 30,000 words or more just doing world building. And then I realized that none of it made the book because by the time I finished writing all the world building crap and start writing the book, I've forgotten everything in the world building document. And so now I kind of just, I, I have a world building document open as I'm writing the book. And every time something important comes up in the book, I just go, oh yeah throw that into the world building document. So at the end, when I finish the book, I have a separate world building document, which includes like all the characters, place names and stuff. But that's more for me to sort of relate back to after the fact than when it comes to writing a sequel, I can, you know, kind of look at that and be like, where the fuck were they? What was the name of that town? And But I don't do it in, in advance anymore. And world building also includes magic systems or lack thereof and stuff like that. But we're going to talk about that later. Ooh. In a future episode, yeah. which may or may not uh, be recorded. I, do, uh, <laughs> I think there, there's a balance because even though Mike might say none of that ended up in the book, it does, I think. And you can feel mm. it when you 
reading a book, you can feel if the author, if you get a feeling that there's a lot of depth to this world, even if things are only just, you know, mentioned in passing or hinted at. And, and that stuff kind of almost accidentally makes, it way, makes its way into the book. It's when you're trying to force that stuff into the story that I think it becomes a problem. And I think it's just striking a balance. For me, I mean, I spent months and months um, doing research and basically world building kind of stuff for the Paternus Trilogy early on. And then I, I ended up having a whole lot of that in the first drafts. And the first book was two books. And I ended up cutting a whole lot of stuff down, cutting a whole lot of backstory stuff out um, and combining it into one book and then rewriting that. And there was less of less, less and less of that in there, but there are still hints of a lot of those things. And I think it's just, you know, do you spend, I know people that spend two days doing world building and then, then they add to it as they go along, but that, that stuff does get in there and it is, it is important. And some people are just really good at keeping all this stuff back of mind as they're going, Rob. Um, and, uh -huh. and it does come through in the books and I've read a few of Rob's and they, they, that's it, it. You wouldn't know that he isn't doing a lot of world building. War I mean, you can, tell when, you can tell when stories are thin on that kind of stuff and they're just kind of seat of the pants cruising, cruising along. I, you can feel that. And then some books, just when you read it, you feel that there's a depth behind the words as you're going. And it just kind of blows you away that there's so much more going on than just what's on the surface. Um, and you can feel that as, as you go. And it's just striking the balance is how much time do you really need, you know, to spend on it. Yeah, absolutely. And for me personally, avoiding the whole world building disease or just in general avoiding spending too much time planning before I actually start writing the story because I am an outliner. So I do love that outlining phase. I find for me, it comes down to like setting a deadline to start writing, even if it feels a bit ambitious. Um, it always, I, to this stage, it has never failed to like make the story kick into gear and being like, all right, I've been outlining this thing for two or three weeks. Next week I start writing. So I got to get all my outlining stuff done before then. And it just kind of like does this magical thing where those, that last 5% of the story that wasn't lining up, it clicks into place because it's like, oh, we're doing this now. Let's go. All right. right. So um, on that note, I think it is time to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you everyone for your questions. And if you have more that you would like us to answer in future episodes, feel free to email them to wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, uh, which will go to me. Or you can hit any of us up on Twitter and I'm sure you guys can pass them along to me as well. Um, I have really enjoyed this episode. It's been very wide ranging. And uh, yeah, I think that's all for now. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Thanks, everybody. I love hearing the questions. Great. Give us more questions. Oh, I okay. find this tolerable at best. It's <laughs> <laughs> always that one dissident. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening or watching, uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Probably. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Wizards, Warriors, and Words. We hope you learned something useful. We love hearing from our listeners. Our email is wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. I personally read and respond to every email, so feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd also love to hear your questions. Send in a question via that email, wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, 
and we might even answer it on the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps more people discover the show. Wizards, Warriors and Words is jointly hosted by Dirk Ashton, Michael R. Fletcher, Rob J. Hayes and Jed Hearn. Our music comes from Michael R. Fletcher and our artwork is by Felix Ortiz. Thank you again for listening. Now go and write extraordinary stories. We'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.